When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you don't have a clear curriculum for your classroom, it is so overwhelming to try to put that together yourself. Spending hours on Pinterest and Google, pulling worksheets and pulling pieces of curriculum together to make something that works for your classroom. That's why we created the Autism Helper Curriculum and now offer Curriculum Access. Curriculum Access gets you access to all levels and all subjects of the highly differentiated evidence-based Autism Helper Curriculum. You can have students working on letter identification and working on parts of speech at the same time in our easy-to-use curriculum. We currently have hundreds of teachers using Curriculum Access from all over the world with consistently rave reviews. I want you to join that group of teachers. Now is the time to ask your administrators for curriculum access. We have an email template ready to go so you can ask them to set up a demo. Your administrators can jump on a live call with our team members to see everything that's included in the Autism Helper curriculum access. Next year, let's reduce the overwhelm. Let's start the year out with a path and a plan and resources to meet all the diverse needs of your students. Let's make next year the year of curriculum access. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. So about four or five years ago, I spent literally an entire year geeking out and researching and obsessing over executive functions. So I got asked to do a presentation related to executive skill functioning, and I knew about executive functions, but when I do a presentation, like I go all in. I really research that topic, and I found a lot of great resources and really dove into the different ways that I was already teaching executive functions, but new ways to teach them as well. I highly recommend the Smart But Scattered series by Peg Dawson. If you are a parent, these books are phenomenal. They're very Um, user-friendly. They have a lot of visuals, a lot of ideas, a lot of kind of action tips. And as a teacher, I think these books are great too. So if you're looking for some resources. So ever since then, executive functions have just always been something I love talking about, I love reading about. Um, And I love sharing with people. It's one of my favorite presentations to do because that session works for everyone. I've had parents come up to me after that session and be like, oh my God, I need these skills for myself. I'm like, yeah, I know these are important. If we think about things like time management and organization and working memory, those are things that adults struggle with all the time. Executive functions are so important. They impact our students' academic success, functional success, ability to make friends, ability to have a job and be independent. Well, when you say it that way, you're like, oh my gosh, yes, I need to work on these things. 
But unfortunately, I think these these skills and providing direct instruction on these skills kind of falls to the bottom of our to-do list. And we focus on, we got to get our academics done, we got to get our behavior plan in. But in reality, focusing on teaching executive functioning skills will improve academics and will help with problem behaviors. The key is though, you have to be purposeful about it. You can't just hope that instruction on executive functions will somehow sneak its way into your lesson plans and your daily routines. You have to plan as the educator, as the clinician, as the parent to provide specific skill building opportunities on these behaviors. That's where we're going to really see a lot of success. When we have a plan and we have steps to take to improve these skills instead of just kind of hoping that they get better or providing maybe a reactive consequence like a punishment. Punishing someone for not being organized is not going to help them be more organized. Punishing someone for not having the skills to manage their time is not going to help them manage their time better in the future. We have to teach these missing skills. So before I go off for like five more hours because I could. Let's get to our interview today. So today I am talking to one of the members of my professional development membership. Lisa Bertulli is a former special education teacher and current board certified behavior analyst. Same as me, right? She's got that classroom background and the ABA background. I love it. She's currently a behavior coach, so she's working in the schools and in the classrooms every single day, and she is just as passionate as I am about executive functions. So I'm excited for you to hear this interview, but I'm even more excited for you to download the free download that Lisa shared with us. And I said in the interview, I think this has to be a record for like the biggest free download available in a podcast episode. So after you listen, make sure to head to the show notes to download this resource. So this resource takes each executive functioning skill and breaks it down by grade level from preschool all the way through post high school. What are the expectations? What activities can you do to improve these skills? And what strategies can an educator or a parent utilize to help improve those behaviors? It's such a thorough document, but it's also really user-friendly. I personally printed it for myself so I can have it and access it when I'm looking at working on these skills. So I think it's going to bring you a lot of value. And I'm so grateful that Lisa was willing to share that with you all. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So today, Lisa and I are talking about one of my favorite topics, which I say about a lot of topics, but this one is up there. We're going to talk about executive functioning skills. And Lisa comes from the same background as I do. She was a former special education teacher and is now a BCBA. So you've got that school experience, but also the ABA experience. Yeah, I do. And I Part of why I went to get my BCBA was because as a special education teacher, I just felt like I wanted to learn more. I was having a lot of kids with autism and also with behavioral challenges, and I just wanted I wanted more. I wanted to be able to help them in a different way, and I went along that route and ended up with a master's in autism studies as well. Awesome. Yeah, that was the same situation I was in. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do next, so I guess I'll get a master's degree <laughs> to help me figure it out. Yep. <laughs> So executive functioning skills, for for those that are listening that this is a new topic or just need a refresher, you want to give a quick kind of summary of, of what these skills are and why they're important. 
Sure. So I think the easiest definition is just executive functions or mental skills that we use every day to get things done. So we use it to help us plan, to help us organize information and items. We use it to make decisions. Um, we use it to control our emotions and our impulsivity. And also we use it to learn from past experiences. So there's a, and I like to think of it as the management system of the brain. Um, I think that's been shared across various websites and books and things like that. And that's just something that has stuck with me. But there are 11 different types of executive functions. So there's response inhibition, which we're going to talk about today, working memory, emotional control, flexibility, sustained attention, task initiation, planning and prioritizing, organization, time management, and then goal-directed persistence and metacognition. And really, it's just helpful for children and even for adults. And I think um, it, again, it helps us plan and organize and make decisions and control our emotions, which is things that we encounter every single day throughout the entire day. Um, so I just think it's important for everybody. And even one thing I found often with families and with educators is those children who are cognitively intact and super smart, they still might be lacking in some of these executive functions. Yes. I'm sure as we start to talk about some of these skills, a lot of people will be like, oh, these are things... I struggle with because I know I have a lot of those moments, but also, yeah, identifying those kids on your caseload or even your own children or nieces or nephews that you're like, my gosh, this kid is so smart. They have so many great skills, but they're not turning in their homework or, you know, they're not able to complete their chores at home. What's going on? And so often when you dig deeper, it's that deficit in those executive functions that's kind of causing those challenges. Right. And I think sometimes as parents, too, when we have children, we're doing things that we don't even realize are actually helping their executive function. So, for example, what I think of a young infant, we're playing peekaboo. Peek sorry. And it works on your working memory. It's, you have to have that self-control because the infant can't react until you open your hands and say peekaboo. Um, they have to do it at the right time to really be engaged in that activity and understand how that activity works and remembering how to play the next time when you come back. Um, things like red light, green light, I think of, again, is that response inhibition. You have to wait. Um, pretend play, which really works on, you know, flexibility and problem solving and also to an extent self-regulation. So there's a lot of things that we do that sometimes we don't realize we're working on these skills. I know I always think about, you know, if a teacher's ever been in that position where someone questions them about having, you know, game time or play time, like, I mean, man, you could quote every executive function as a reason why you're playing games or why you're doing all these activities because you're going to end up targeting so many of these skills. Absolutely. And I, and I think that like mindset shift of, as I know you're going to talk about some strategies to work on these skills is that we don't have the expectation that maybe our kids are just coming to our door or our screen right now <laughs> and, and having them all fluent that they might need more instruction in some of these areas and where other kids might have just picked it up not all kids have, and they might need some more help to build up these skills. Right. I think one of the funniest things that I tell teachers and even parents to do, and it helps with a lot of different skills, but it can also help with some of the executive function. Well, really all of the executive functioning skills is when you're modeling, 
even at home, talking things out, saying what you're thinking in your brain, because it's just such a, such a great example for your child too. And it feels so unnatural, feels so strange. And I've had many parents tell me, I can't do that. Or teachers who are like, that's just weird. Why are you telling me to do that? And it's weird even when I do it, but it has such an impact on kids. And I really think there is value to modeling how you're thinking and what you're going through in your own brain for them to start to understand and make connections to themselves. That's a great, like just overall suggestion for all of these, because we utilize these skills so fluently that we don't even realize it. I made, I, I, I do a full day presentation on executive function. So I'm going to like real try, really try to keep this summarized today. Cause I know you could talk a long time on this too. Um, but I made a slide in this presentation that I love because I, I went through the skills or the steps you take to go grocery shopping, you know, something we do all the time. And I could barely get it on one slide of how many different executive functions we use just in the skill, in the activity of going grocery shopping, right. like something that we don't think is that advanced. Right. And there so, are a lot of steps in those simple things that we do day to day. And I think, you know, again, through that modeling and talking through it and showing them how you make a list and thinking about a calendar and things like that. How long is it going to take me to go to the store? Do I have to stop anywhere after? Is the store still going to be open? There are, I could see that with a grocery store. And I've never really thought about that before with a grocery store, but you're absolutely right. It really addresses most, if not all of the yeah. executive functions. <laughs> And it's so great. Yeah. So it's just the idea of talking it out and being able to identify of like, I'm using organization right now. I'm using response inhibition right now by not buying seven bags of Doritos. Like being able to right. talk that out for your kid to see like, hey, these are things that I do and that you're going to learn how to do too. Absolutely. Yeah. So everyone listening is like listening to maybe the most valuable episode of this podcast ever because Lisa is sharing the biggest podcast download of all time. I'm just going to decide <laughs> that it's the biggest podcast download of all time. And it's, it's really, really amazing. Like I have printed and stapled it on like nice paper and put it in a nice folder for myself because I know I'm going to utilize it. It breaks down each of the executive functions by grade it has skills for school versus home. So if you're a parent listening, you have to download it. And it also gives strategies. So it's, I mean, beyond, beyond valuable. So thank you so much for sharing this with everyone. Of course. I just, you know, this was really a group effort. We had representatives from across grade levels, and I just kind of led the group um, and then compiled all the information into these documents. But we really wanted to make something easy both for educators to access and uh, utilize and also for parents because we were finding that a lot of both educators and parents were expecting their children to do more than they are actually expected to do, but then also not knowing how to address some of those areas of weakness and what they should be doing to help those students or help their child both at school and at home. And a lot of times the same strategies that you use as, at school to you know, help follow directions, avoiding distractions, controlling responses, um, problem solving, or managing short and long-term assignments also help you at home um, with social behavior and relationships and playing. So all those things are really interconnected. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. 
Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. And I love, I love, like you said, that you include the strategies because so often we're like, okay, I know that Johnny has trouble with emotional control, but what do I do about it? You know, I just knowing that that's a deficit isn't enough. It's what steps do we take to help him learn that skill? So I think this is, you know, such a valuable tool and it's, it's very simple, easy to use. So thank you again. Yeah. So we're going to kind of pull a few skills from these documents and kind of go through some examples because I know I always like to hear the examples and the hows and the whys. So let's start with a fun one, response inhibition. (laughs) This one you can like, you could picture it, right? (laughs) Yes. And I always like to tell parents, this is just the think before you act. So before you respond to something or um, just again, taking that time to think. And really at the younger age, you would really practice that. Again, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, playing games, having conversations, doing that pretend play. You can do it through reading books and also when you're teaching safety skills. Like I think about that simple skill of looking both ways before you cross the street. That's one of those first things that we teach children, especially if you live on a main road or on a road in general. So at the younger grades, you know, you would talk about setting a timer and slowly increase the time that you expect a child to wait. Um, Again, always we want to reinforce that positive behavior. And when they do make those good choices and make it super specific so that they understand, oh, I'm getting reinforced because I waited my two minutes before um, getting access to my iPad or something along those lines. And the same thing at home. You can do it if you're asking them to wait before they go to a different activity or they have to wait before they can have, again, access to, I'm going to say the iPad because I know kids are super motivated by that right now. But you can increase that time and giving them that reinforcement, like, great job waiting that two minutes. Um, As you get into some of the older or the upper grades, it, it does tend to look a little bit different. So teaching them consequences for their actions. This would be like grades three through five, preparing the child for situations that require that impulse control. So whether it's games, whether it's a social situation, um, and again, at home too, you can uh, require your child to earn something that they want. So doing chores around the home, um, helping your child learn that there's consequences for your actions. Um, I mean, I, when you start, no, when you start to think about response inhibition, I mean, I always, I think of adults that struggle with this. Like I, I love the example you have on your handout for grades six through eight, uh, a home skill would be saying no to a fun activity when you already have other plans. Like that's a hard skill for an adult to do, right? You, you already, you already told grandma you'd come over and then someone asks you to go to the arcade. What are you supposed to do? Right. Your impulse is to be like, you know, sorry, grandma, I'm going to the arcade. (laughs) Yep. That's more fun, right? (laughs) Yeah. But being able to think before you act, what are the consequences of this choice? And I think when we get into those, those upper grades, there's a lot of cool ways you can target this skill. And there's a lot of probably challenges that a lot of our kids could be facing. 
Yeah, and I this was one of the ones that I had as an activity. So we made some videos for parents, just short little snippets um, at each of the grade levels for a good chunk of the executive functions so that instead of having to read through information that we're sharing, they can just listen and see. And one of them I just keep thinking of is like having to clean the garage before you do something fun. So I would have to talk that I could model that by saying it out loud. Like I'd really like to go and watch that show on Netflix, but I know I have to clean the garage. So I have to do that first. Yes. I mean, adults do that all the time, right? Like when I, my second, my kids go to bed, I'm like, I want to watch TV. And it's like, no, I should like do the dishes. And like, there's times where sometimes, you know, we, we give in to that impulse. You're like, I'll do the dishes tomorrow. I'm going to watch TV. But understanding those long-term consequences, if you did that every day, you're never going to have clean dishes to use when you want a meal. So you can really get into a lot of life skill type activities that have big impacts on functional independence with your older learners. Yeah. And I think now too, I'm just thinking about response inhibition with there's really a push for mindfulness and teaching your child to be able to take deep breaths before responding if they're in a confrontation or something like that. Stopping and thinking, like, what could happen if I do this? Is this what I want to happen? And just being able to, again, that stop and think before you act. Yeah. I mean, think about how many IEP meetings that you've had to, like, <laughs> utilize some response inhibition. You know, maybe with a coworker, you're like, okay, let's think of the professional way to say it, not the way I want to say it, because there's, you know, social and professional consequences to behaving inappropriately in the workplace. Absolutely. Even in your home life, responding to your husband when they do something <laughs> silly, you have to kind yeah. of stop and ask, is that going to get me what I want? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And again, sometimes you give in and you learn the hard way that like, no, having that reaction was not a good choice, but um, but the, there's so, you know, I, when I first consider response inhibition, we typically think of like, you know, a younger child, but there's so many ways to advance this skill for our older kids also. Right. And I think one thing to keep in mind too, is a lot of times people, and I know we mentioned this at the beginning, but a lot of times people think of executive functioning deficits for children with autism or children with ADHD. But again, it could be for anybody. A lot of these things, you know, apply to all kids and even some adults. So I think that's one thing to come to keep in mind because there are a lot of resources that taught like have executive function in the title, but they also mention for autism or for ADD or ADHD. But again, I think those resources have great strategies and tools for all kids. Yeah. I'm sure you have this experience, you know, as a coach that I, you know, I've gone into a lot of gen ed classrooms and worked with gen ed teachers for, you know, specifically with strategies for whoever was on my caseload or my client. And it's so, it always cracks me up when I come back and they're like, oh my God, did you know that strategy that you told me about? It worked for everyone. And I was like, I know <laughs> it's not special ed magic. Like these are just best practices and kids are going to have deficits in a lot of the same things as the kids on our caseloads do. Absolutely. Yes, I have encountered that before. And it's so funny when they have that aha moment or when they see it working. And I think the hardest part is to get them to see it working and benefiting that particular student and then all their students. But when they see it, it, it is great and it's really helpful. 
And as, you know, a special education teacher, sometimes you are that resource in the building that other teachers come to. And it's it's such a way to get buy-in to other things you might ask someone to do that they that might take a little longer. Like you said, they might not see the the results right away. But if you can get some quick wins with things like this of like, hey, I've got some activities that'll work on, you know, working memory or task initiation, maybe we could do it as a whole group and kind of see the effects on that entire class. People are like, oh yeah. That teacher, she knows what she's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's switch gears. Let's talk organization. And this is this is a good one because I mean, there's like a multi-billion dollar industry around organization. Like I just binge watched the home edit that's all about organization. <laughs> like organization is something that people struggle with and people are into. Even if you're consider yourself an organized person, people still want to be more organized because it's that helpful. Um, but what does organization really mean when it comes down to being organized or having the skill of organization? So it's just the ability to create and maintain those systems for arranging and keeping track both of items and of important details. So everybody has their own way of organizing that works for them. But when children are developing, they really need that support to find that way of organization or that way to organize their both their items and their details that works for them. But in the beginning, again, they need a lot of modeling. I go back to that modeling where you're talking out loud when you're organizing things. So teaching them, especially the younger kids, they're thinking like preschool to first grade, cleaning up their toys and putting them back in their spot, but they still need those adult reminders at this point. And maybe you have visuals, whether it's pictures, and this could work again for school or for home. You could have pictures of where the items go. So if you have Legos, you have a picture of the Legos on the bin, and it can either be a photograph or just clip art. Um, you might be able to have the words if your child's a reader. Having your child clear their dishes when they're done eating a meal or snack at school, you would have them throwing away their garbage um, after they eat. Helping them clean their bedroom and other shared spaces within your home with, again, your adult support because you can model for them, oh, you know what? This doesn't go there. This goes over here. Or if you're looking for something, I usually keep the potter pan in this cabinet, but I must not have put it back where it belongs. I wonder where I put it and showing them how you search and then saying like, oh, next time it'll be easier to find it if I put it back where it belongs. And again, just modeling that language for them, I think is so helpful. Um, and as your child gets older, you can move into just having that system in place in school too, like knowing, having each child know where their materials belong. So if they have a folder or a binder system that works for them, teaching them to put things, all the reading stuff goes in the red folder, all the reading stuff goes in the, the red binder, whatever color it might be. My binder goes in my book bin that's labeled above my coat or backpack. Um, helping children in you know middle school, sixth to eighth grade, I know middle schools can sometimes be different in different buildings or different districts, but having them have a system for organizing their locker so that if they need something when they go to their locker, they know it's where that item is for them to grab quickly because typically you don't have a lot of time to grab things from your locker. Using calendars um, to keep yourself organized so you know when you have specific assignments due, which also goes into time management a little bit, but so you know when you have assignments due or when you have plans, things like that are just really helpful. And those can go for middle school and for high school really in terms of using the calendar. And I like how you kind of talked through that progression of helping give those supports, show ways things can be organized, and then starting to pull back and having, you know, kids as they get older, set up their own systems, utilize their own systems. Like if it works for you, 
you know, the goal is that you can find it when you need it. And if, if your system is functional, meaning during a passing period, that's five minutes, you can go across, you know, half of a football field length of a building, get to your locker, switch out your books, get back to the other classroom. If whatever system you've got in that locker works great, but you know, you need that background of being taught different types of systems to get there. Right. And so, and as oh, sorry, they get, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and no, as they get older, you really want to feed that support so that they can find a system that works for them. And they might have a system that was working and it stops working. And then we have to start back at, okay, let's talk about this. What didn't work with that system? Let's see if we can figure out another system that works for you. And that's something you could so talk through in a house. Like I liked the example of like, oh, I didn't put the pot back where I needed it. Well, now I can't find it. Now I can't make my soup. So it would be faster if next time I kept it where I needed it. And you can talk through those same examples in a school or in a house of like, oh, the way I used to organize my spices was great. But now I have so many spices that they don't fit on the shelf. So I'm going to redo it. And yes, 12-year-old, I know this interests you 0%, but come help me reorganize the spices. You know, so like getting them involved in some of those choices that we make probably on a regular basis in our house um, would be a great way to start to teach these skills. Right, right. And again, I think that modeling and them seeing you do it, so not always doing things when kids aren't home or kids aren't in the same room as you, I think it's good for them to see us doing that as adults because they see that it's a normal everyday thing that happens. And let's go back to talking about labeling, um, you know, toys and materials with visuals or words for younger grades. I think that's so important. And I think it's so important to talk to your staff because it's not only you that's helping clean up, but it's, it's your team. And, and there's a, there's a reason why you tirelessly cut out all of those images and printed them and taped them on and paid for the nice packing tape because there's a point. It's not just for it to look pretty it's so kids can put their things away and find the things when we need it. And I think we need to, we sometimes miss that step of like explaining that to our team. So they're running around cleaning everything up and you're like, no, 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 no. Like Johnny has to clean up. Right. Everybody, a lot of the schools that I support, they make fun of me because my favorite word to use is visuals. I love visuals. (laughs) I think they're so helpful and beneficial. And once people see the value in them, they are like, oh, now I know why you're telling me that word visuals again. So I, I completely agree. I think visuals just set up a system so that kids can be more independent and, and feel successful when they do something that maybe they weren't able to do without that visual or maybe they weren't able to do without someone modeling and doing it with them. But now that they can do it more independently, they just feel such, so successful and they feel good when they can be independent. I see it with my own child when he can clean up his room and put things back where they belong. And again, he still needs some support with that, but there are things that he can do on his own. He feels so proud and you can just see it in his body language and the words that he uses. So I agree. I think staff training and even teacher training is a big, a big thing that needs to happen consistently and regularly, not just a one and done because kids change and staff changes and they need that um, frequent, frequent touch base and, um, training. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, when we explain why, you know, even if it takes two minutes to be like, Hey, we've labeled everything because we want kids, you know, to become independent and learn how to do it. Even just that little quick explanation can solve a lot of problems. And as you talked about, you know, we want our kids to be more independent. So many classrooms feel the burden of being understaffed, you know, of not having the right amount of team members. Well, this is a, a quick way to help ease that burden is to have your students 
have a bigger role in the maintenance of the classroom and being more independent on getting their supplies, cleaning up supplies, setting up centers, setting up schedules. These are all things that our kids are definitely capable of with those right supports. And and I'm, I'm with you on that favorite word, visuals. It, it's a quick solution to so many issues. I always think about one of my friends had a preschool classroom that was a very crowded um, preschool classroom, bilingual room. It was a blended classroom. So kids with IEPs, kids without IEPs. And I have never seen a group of five-year-olds clean a room like impeccably, impeccably. And she had one of those shelves that like has a cubby that where the bin fits in each one. And during center time, these kids would dump everything. And it gave me anxiety. I'm like, but the blocks are out with the balls, with the cars, with the this. And at the bottom of every bin, she had taken a picture of what was supposed to be in the bin and taped it on the bottom of the bin. And at the end of playtime, they all just sorted everything right back in the right bins and put them back and it was done. And I was like, that was amazing. And it took her so little time. Take a picture of what's in it, tape it at the bottom of the bin, done. Well, and I I think about us as adults, we use visuals throughout our entire day. Visuals are not just for the students in the classrooms, right? They also help the, the adults. Yeah. They, I mean, a lot of times, let's face it, like you said, we are short staff. So a lot of times when people are meeting with the classroom teachers or the special ed teachers meeting with, you know, a coach or something along those lines, the professional assistants aren't always able to be included. So they don't hear all the information, which is unfortunate, but with time and again, staffing, sometimes those visuals give support to them. So they know exactly what was meant by, you know, Um, the plan that you're developing or a skill that you're teaching, something along those lines, that visual helps them as well. Yeah. And I mean, even just down to the simple, like, let's keep our room clean. Like if you have therapists and clinicians in and out of your classroom, because they do push in therapy and each person is taking out markers or scissors or a textbook or a puzzle. And then they, that adult doesn't know where to put it back and is just going to leave it on the table. Like, yeah, you better believe you're staying till 6 PM every night cleaning your classroom up because the other adults don't know where things go. Right. And then what, what is that showing the child with your sense of organization as well? Yeah. I like, wait, that doesn't go there. Yeah. I love that when kids like, they're like, no, 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 wrong spot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about our last one that we're going to focus on. And this is a good one too. Task initiation. So this is just the ability for, I think it kind of says what it is in the title, but it's the ability to begin a task, you know, in a timely manner. Um, so again, this, there is definitely a progression from, you know, preschool to high school level. So at school, can they, um, put clean up? Do they start cleaning up and putting away materials on their own? Can they perform classroom jobs without the reminders? Um, will they stop playing to follow an adult instruction? And then it moves up to, again, the high school. So, um, starting scheduled product or projects on time, initiating a classroom routine, breaking down longer assignments into smaller, more manageable pieces and knowing where to start and when to start and checking in with teachers. I think this is a huge one when a student's absent. And I think this could also start in middle school is checking in with a teacher when you're absent and finding out, okay, what did I miss? Yes. Yeah. So, and what about in the home? What does task initiation look like in the house setting? So thinking about some of the younger grades, like being able to start getting ready for bed, um, doing some of those routines that you have set up both in the morning and in the afternoon. So getting out of bed, 
getting dressed, if that's something that they do, being able to start that. And again, in the beginning, they really need those reminders or visuals too, to support that, to help increase their independence. Um, so for our kids that are maybe a little bit older, but in the, in the house, in the home setting are still needing a lot of reminders. Like we have the morning routine, we have the afternoon routine, but mom has to ask, you know, 25 times to get started on homework and mom has to, you know, remind 25 times to get the room clean. What are some strategies that parents can utilize then to kind of start the for the task initiation to really develop? So breaking tasks into smaller pieces, and I think also making lists for your child to be able to follow. If they're readers, you can use words. If they're non-readers, you can use pictures. Get Making sure that you get their attention before you give them a direction. Sometimes you can use your fingers to identify the different steps if you're giving multi-step directions. Um, things like that, I think, are helpful. I like, I like the idea of the visual with the fingers because that's just like a little cue of like, hey, what was mom saying when her fifth finger was up? There was like, I do that too, right? Like, I need three things at the grocery store. And then it's like that little cue. Yeah. And um, I, a lot of times we start talking to our, our kids, whether again, in school and at home without first getting their attention. And yes. then we wonder why they're not following through with what we ask them to do. I think, or, or even worse, they're engaged in something amazing. They're watching a show, they're playing with their friends and they are not paying attention to us. <laughs> so true. And then we give, yeah, the laundry list. And then we're annoyed that nothing's been followed. It's so true. <laughs> So even with our older kids, you know, getting that attention ahead of time and then and then kind of going through breaking down the task and how we have to get started. Yeah, and I think for some of the older kids too, you can also have them set timers on their watch to help them be independent. So I know I have 30 minutes to start this. I better get started in, you know, five minutes, something like that, so that they start to understand how much time it takes them to finish something and when they need to get started. I love that idea. You know, you've mentioned timers a few times and I'm happy you did because, you know, we think like every special ed classroom has that like red visual timer, but I think it's important to know that that's a tool and we have to teach our kids how to utilize timers, like haphazardly putting them on isn't going to really accomplish much. Right. And I think the great, you know, with some of the remote learning that's happening and even with moving more towards digital tools, using Google calendars or whatever it might be, you can set those timers too, where it reminds you 10 minutes before so that you know, oh, in 10 minutes, I know I have to start my math work, for example. So there's a lot of tools out there now more than there ever were before to help kids, I think, with the task initiation, with, um, I, I mean, with organizing and time management and things like that, that they can use. But again, they have to be taught those and figure out which one works best for them. Yeah. So if we think about high schoolers, you know, junior high, high schoolers in particular, with all of these skills, you know, I, I think I'm sure as people are listening, they're like, oh, yes, like these are all things, you know, my high schoolers need to work on. When do we fit this in during the day? You know, there's such a demand to fit in so many different academic components. When do you recommend or when is a good time to find time to work on some of these executive functions? That's a great question. I think in the younger grades, it's much easier to incorporate it throughout their entire day. I think once you get into middle school and high school, it does become more difficult. But I I see it fitting into, you know, with the teachers, maybe fitting in in the beginning of the 
the subject area or the period, they can work on those skills. Like, okay, today you have this to do. Um, in the beginning of the period, they could talk about, okay, we have this project due um, on this date. What do we, let's talk about planning or take two minutes to plan out when you think you need to start and when you think you'll, so that you're finished in time, things like that. I think you can really build it in naturally. I think in the beginning, it's going to take more time. And when we push this out to teachers, that was some of the feedback is, they thought that the information we were giving them was great, but they weren't sure really how to fit it in their day. So that was something that we offered some professional develop development around. And we really talked about how it can be something that you naturally fit into your day, but in the beginning, it's really gonna take some planning on the part of the teacher and we supported them with that. We had, again, a representative from each um, level and that person was a resource to them to really help set up that time. But again, I think it is much more difficult at a high school level because the periods are so short and you really don't have a lot of time. Whereas in elementary school, because they're with the same teacher, the majority of the day, they have a little bit more flexibility with when they work on that. Yeah. And that's good to note that it'll be harder for the teacher at first because it's not part of their routine yet, you know, but it, it could become part of their routine. Right. And I think a lot of times what was happening is teachers were realizing they were doing these things. They just not necessarily called it um, what it is and, you Mm -hmm. know, called it the specific names of the executive functions. They weren't saying, oh, I've been working on emotional control by doing this. So it Mm -hmm. just took some time for them to realize the things that they were naturally doing in their teaching and how that could be connected or how that related to the executive functionings, the executive functions and the skill deficits that they had within their classrooms. Yeah. And I, and I think also, you know, selling to people that, you know, Hey, like if you have a 45 minute period and you spend five to 10 minutes, you know, and maybe not necessarily chunked at the start of the period, but even throughout the period working on these skills, you're likely to get more done during those other 30 to 35 minutes that if you didn't target this, right? because you're, you, you, kids are going to be engaging in problem behaviors related to deficits in these areas because they just don't have those skills yet. So as we're starting to teach them, we're going to see some of those behaviors hopefully go down because they're learning new skills. Absolutely. And I think an easy one is thinking about organization. So you're in that 45-minute block and you hand out the notes or something for class. Right there, you could work on organization. Okay, where are we going to put those? Remember, this is whatever, math class, that's your blue folder. Or you know, if you're using a binder system, make sure you punch holes in it and put it right in. So I think you can really build those skills in throughout, like you said. Um, it's just, again, it's the planning piece and it, and it will start to come more naturally as you get used to it and as you get used to incorporating those things throughout your lessons. Yeah. You can't assume that you're going to like sneak it in. Cause like, I mean, when you said the binder thing, can't you just picture like the bell ringing and a kid just like shoving it in the back of the binder and then just like running out? Yeah. Like that's what happens if you don't take the steps ahead of time. And if the teacher isn't providing those prompts and instruction ahead of time, it's, you know, it's, it's that vicious cycle that's going to keep happening. And then, oh, where are your notes? Oh, I don't know. Right. They were shoved in my binder. And I think time management is something that's hard for teachers at time because you want to fit so much into that block of time that you have. And you want to make sure you reach every single child in your class and you address all their needs that sometimes we forget to be looking at the time and paying attention and allotting for time to put materials away in the right way to keep them organized and things like that. So I think it, it just takes a lot of planning. 
Yeah. I've, I've heard from so many teachers that, you know, going back between virtual and face-to-face that they were like, oh my God, I realized my time management wasn't accurate because it takes us so much more time to transition with our cleaning procedures and mask breaks and things like that. So that's something that adults are always tweaking too. Yeah. I even have a student right now who I'm helping by teaching them remotely um, for reading. And today we had only had a half hour and my time management was so poor. We didn't get through half of what I had planned. And I know that we're able to, but I didn't get through any of it because I wasn't watching my clock. And it was like five minutes before the end. And I realized, oh man, we didn't get through half of what I had planned. So it happens. It's We're, we're always work in progress. Right. We're human. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I feel like you and I could both talk about this for like hours and hours. So we'll wrap it up here. But I encourage everyone go to the show notes, click on the free download. Thank Lisa virtually a million times because it's a really, really awesome download. Basically, each skill, which we kind of talked about here, there's a whole page broken down with, well, several pages of for each skill by grade with strategies, home versus school. So I think this will be really valuable for a lot of teachers. So thank you so much, Lisa. Yes. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.